This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini, and today we're revisiting another one of our favorite classic episodes, and that is The Necessity for Creative Strategy with Steve Leader, founder, chief creative officer of Badge Design. And this was one of our most highly downloaded episodes of all time, quite frankly, and it's also a personal favorite of ours at Forthright People because it's so fundamental to our philosophy on how our work should be done. And then it should always be grounded in a strategy that informs the creative so that it has the ability to connect with the right target audiences in the right formats at the right time, which you've definitely heard us say before. It's not always easy to get alignment on creative strategy for a whole host of reasons, which we cover in this episode, but when done right, it leads to smart work that achieves business goals and brand success. Let's get into the episode. And today we're going to talk about one of my very favorite and one of the most controversial topics in the agency world, and that is creative strategy and why it is not only important, but absolutely necessary. I have lost count of all the times in my career when a new project would come in and the creative team would want to be off to the races with no need, I'm doing quotes here, for strategy to assist in the process. And on even the very best teams, when strategy was respected and desired, inevitably you always end up with a team member or two that just can't get on board and then you have the squeaky wheel syndrome and it just goes and goes and goes or another example when someone usually with the biggest ego which we will talk about during this episode has a great idea that they want to see implemented just because these are all reasons that a creative strategy is necessary when it comes to design in order to actually have the design succeed Yep. So first, what is creative strategy? So creative strategy takes into account the client's brand, their business goals and objectives, the competitive and category landscape as it exists, and how to find white space within that landscape, as well as the customer and consumer needs that need to be addressed by the design. So that's a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, that's a whole lot of stuff coming together, which is why you need the strategy, right? Exactly. All right. But put more simply, it creates a brief with foundational learnings and success criteria to get everyone on board and working against the same information as design is created and executed. And this can be any kind of creative. So the same rules apply across all of this. So billboards, packaging, social media posts, TV spots, ads, car reps, bus reps, you name it, it is all included. Anything that you create with intent to market or promote is design. And one final and very important thing before we dive right in, we do have a special guest today. Steve Leader, founder and chief creative officer of Badge Design, is here with us as our creative counterpart on this episode. So you'll see a lot of the tension, although all in good fun, of course, but you'll see the tension that happens between creative and strategy in agency life. And Steve and I have worked together over the years at different agencies, built many creatively led strategies together. So in other words, perfect guest for today's topic. Hi, Steve. You want to introduce yourself? 
Thank you, Anne and April, for having me. Um, my name is Steve Leader. I have over 20 years of design and branding experience. 15 of them were spent at large global branding shops. And about five, five years ago, I went off and helped co-found Badge. We're a small design studio here in Cincinnati. We're part of a much larger network called the Ovari Group. Primarily, a lot of our work is uh, dedicated to emerging commerce, direct-to-consumer work. That's sort of the, the, the nature of where business has gone the last 10 years. And really enjoy working on smaller and regional upcoming brands and helping them establish themselves and scale their brands appropriately. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. So as you can hear, perfect partner for today's discussion. We didn't want to have a one-sided one. So there you go. So with that, we will get into the necessity for creative strategy. And the first point, creative, unlike art, needs to be objective, not subjective. So in the world of design, there are tons and tons of conversations that go on between making art or designing for a commercial use. Well, here's the differentiation we have made. And so as you're listening throughout the episode today, Anne's brilliance was brought in. Thank you by being able to effectively communicate this in the right way. So what we're saying is if you're making art, right, it's not necessarily for commercial use. When you are designing, and you heard this in the definition that Anne set up, you are designing in order to go and sell something. So that is the commercial aspect of it. So when we say art versus design, you'll hear those nuances throughout. So just try to remember that definition in your head. And so when we say design again, and Anne set this up as well, but it's worth reiterating, to keep it in your head, these are things like billboards, TV spots, packaging. There's lots of digital out there right now, social media, ads in that space. If you're doing it for personal pleasure, it might be selling art in a gallery or teaching art in a classroom or something that you keep for yourself or gift to others, paintings, sculpture, photography, etc. We're not saying that those two things are mutually exclusive. There are plenty of designs designers out there that do fine art in their own time. So we're not drawing a line and saying you can't be both. That would be probably offensive to all of our creative friends listening with those other outlets. And there is overlap, right? So sometimes you take photos for personal use and sometimes you take them for photography for those things I just talked about, billboards and such. But for this conversation, we need to have that hard line to set it up. And I said the word subjective in the beginning. We'll talk about this later as well. But there are expressions that exist like like art is in the eye of the beholder, that is the opposite of what happens in design. Because in design, you're building based on the strategic foundation, which is everything we're going to talk about today. And the goal is to deliver on the strategy to a certain audience and communicate a message with a lot of people and help them get on board with it. So it's not a single eye of a single beholder. It's trying to communicate the same thing across a whole bunch of people or a whole bunch of audiences even. So you've got to make sure that you're really hitting that message with whatever creative you are doing. Clarity of message becomes super, super important. And again, strategy, the last thing I'll say, and I will let Steve talk, is set up to be freeing, not restrictive. And that is a common misconception. So in order to get to that objectivity, to have something to vet the design against so that you're not just choosing what you like, that is why we set the creative strategy. All right, Steve, I will shut up and let you talk. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a perfect jumping off point for me. Um, I, I talk about this extensively with, with my team and have over the years that I think there is a misconception that 
let creatives be creative and just let them go run off and, and make things. And in my experience, I've found that the best creative comes when there are parameters yep. established. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the creatives push the limits of the projects when they do have very firm fences around what they're supposed to be exploring. I, I, I talk about this study I read once upon a time, I believe it was done by some landscape architects. And what they had done was they did a study on, on a playground where the first playground, they put a bunch of kids and there was no fences around the playgrounds. And the kids pretty much under observation as they played, stayed very close to all the all the, mm. all the stuff in the playground, Interesting. all the swings and monkey bars. And they, they, they were very closely tied to the equipment. They did a second study where they put a fence around the playground and they found that the kids utilized every ounce of space within that playground. So they really pushed all the way to the fences and they really enjoyed the the full ground they, they had. And to me, that's a really interesting metaphor for creativity in the sense that sometimes if there's too much freedom, it, it's it, it's paralyzing for, for the creatives to create things. So establishing walls or fences for them to work within really allows them to push up and, and bump across, um, bump up against all of those those edges to explore everything to the fullest degree. Yeah, and I love the reference to pushing on those fences once you have them, because I think that is really true. And I think where the best strategy is built, it's when that healthy debate happens, which is that push, right? But if we're all working from the same foundation, the same starting places, we have that to effectively argue or debate against each other versus having blue sky, like you said, and just being able to make anything and then kind of having just a a circular conversation at the end of the day. Yeah, and and, and in my opinion, there's almost no situation where there is blue sky for creatives, right? Because we're talking about yeah. design and not yep. fine art. And so with design, you are you are you are creating creating communication pieces with an, a, a clear objective. Yep. You are trying to sell something. You're trying to convey a message. And so you're not creating something for your own selfish pleasures. You're creating mm-hmm. something with the intent to speak to a, a particular audience and you have to take your your own self ego out of that a lot of times as a designer because it's not about you and what you want to be doing it's about it's about your client and what they're trying to communicate to their consumer yeah, and I think this used to be one of the biggest challenges we had on the client side because there was always that rub of like, oh, we want to give you know space to be creative. So sometimes our briefs would be very sparse. but then when we got back, <laughs> we're like, what are we supposed to do with this? And because sometimes I think it gave like the creative the the freedom to say, well, then I can't. I can create whatever I want. And usually when you give creative that freedom, they want to create something that's going to get the awards, that's going to mm-hmm. get like noticed and stuff. And that's not always what sells business. And so that was always a distinguishing factor we had to make was like, okay, yes, we want you to be creative within, you know, and it's and it's unfortunate to say like, you know, that I'll use your metaphor, the fence. But that's also the challenge is how creative can you be within that fence so that we could all create work that is going to deliver the business at the end of the day, because that's what we're all about. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, you know, in my opinion, that um, the, the strategy is so crucial. Um, and there is a fine line between how much strategy or how much goes into a briefing, right, which is an, a, another area that's been very important for me throughout my career is, is the briefing and understanding what are the right things to be communicating to the creatives to get the most out of them, mm-hmm. because we're not always speaking the same language as the client service team or the mm-hmm. marketers on the client side. And so there has to be an understanding of of the word choices and, and how you motivate different people who don't have the same same experiences or education that you might have. 
but with a common goal, right? What is mm-hmm. that unifier to rally everyone around the common goal about this is what we're trying to communicate and this is what's going to work. And good designers have the ability to take that strategy and then do exactly what you were talking about before, win the awards, right? So how, yeah. how do you take the— <laughs> I knew we were going to go you, back Well, there. I'm a creative, so I need a—we <laughs> need a—like, there is some selfish motives when it comes to creating things that, you know, you do get satisfaction out of coming up with really creative solutions that solve what the brief is about and what the strategy is around. And so good designers can take, take the brief and the strategy, and they can overlay some of their own creativity and, and some of their own passionate ideas or, or techniques that they're interested in doing but sell it in a way that makes sense for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, you're alluding to the fact of not being selfish, right, in the way that you're solving that. So it's about being a smart designer, looking at the challenge, thinking through it in a way that is really intelligent, and then moving on from there. And I actually thought you were going to preempt my next point, but you didn't, which is number two, which is where I'm going to call myself out here. Um, caution. There's such thing as too much strategy. And yes, you heard me the lover of strategy, just state that. So while the shock wears off, um, I will explain what I mean by that. And this is something that Steve and I have aligned on over the years, but also seen really great and not so great executions of strategy, right? And so I think while you always need a strategy to, again, build that fence, we'll continue that reference throughout all of this, that foundation, the point of alignment, the alignment with the client, the setup of the brief, vetting whatever comes back, all of that is really important. But when you go down a path of trying to have too much strategy, or selfishly on the side of the strategist, trying to show off how smart you are, how great your solutions are, how much you can talk in some instances. All of those are really bad manifestations of strategy. And what happens is, one, the work never moves forward, or it becomes uninspired and weighed down. The creative team disengages, the client team can disengage, and it just becomes too hard to understand overall. And I think this is sometimes where strategy gets a really bad rap. And a lot of times what I've seen in the past is it being really situational. And it comes from the side of the strategist wanting to just build strategy, but not creative strategy and not wanting to work hand in hand in that way. And I think in the same way that creatives have to learn to embrace with and work with and be smart about strategy, strategists have to learn on the other side how to be effective with creatives in order to choose the right words, like you said, Steve, and bring forward the right ideas like you said, and for commercialization and business purposes and think about how, how all that works together for the commercialization of things. Yeah, I mean, it's super important for the strategists and the creative leads to be you, like just connected at the hip. Yep. It, it goes without saying. And so when the strat- creative strategy is built before, you know, ideally you kick off a creative project, the strategist and the creative are already synced up and they're yep. presenting a unified idea to the creative team. And so immediately you're setting the tone that we both believe in this and this is the right way forward. And that that means a lot when you kick off a project to make sure that everyone's kind of lined up in, in a way that's going to make sense. And in terms of where you started with that before was about there is too much strategy. Yeah, there can be too much strategy. <laughs> there, 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 there really can. Are and you thinking of one company in particular? No, we're, we're at? We're, no, no, of course not. No, we won't mention any names. But um, no, I, I think the pace, this kind of goes without saying, but the, the pace the world is moving, there there's a time and place for maybe the very robust strategy, strategy um, documentation and presentations. But the reality is a lot of clients don't want it. They don't yep. want to pay for it. They yep. think it is slowing down the process and it's just not effective for them to, to, to partake in it. 
And so there is a Goldilocks kind of feeling I have where it's like, <laughs> how much is the right? This is too much. You know, this is not enough. But there has to be something set in place or you're just you're, you're, you don't have any guideposts to evaluate the creative after it happens. You're, you're heading down a subjective path without the strategy where it turns into a beauty contest. Well, I like this better than that, but mm -hmm. there's really no rationale behind it other than personal preference. And so the key is to, you know, if you don't know your clients over time or through relationships to have conversations with them up front about what feels like the right amount of strategy and what, what's valuable to them. Ideally, though, this just happens over time and you get to an understanding of, of what feels right for who you're working with. And some clients will really embrace it and really want a lot of strategy and other ones will want to just kind of skip that step. But, you know, I think we, we really try to push back and say there has to at least be a minimum amount of rigor established before we want to do any creative work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so true. And you brought up digital, and I think that's a huge part of this. And this is a huge part of our philosophy at Fourth Right People. And something that I, quite frankly, over time, like you said, as you get better and you have more experience and all of that, you get a feel for what the right amount is based on client, based on situation, based on type of work, all of those types of things. But we talk a ton about testing and learning. And I think the same belief holds there, which is you have to have something and you have to have enough. But you don't have to have so much. I mean, no longer are we solving for in six months, I'm going to do a Super Bowl spot and that's going to be, you know, more than 50 percent of my marketing budget for the year. Right. That still happens. People still do TV spots. But most of the stuff now is, you know, an ad that's out there for a period of time or a social post or, or a campaign or whatever. And so it's a lot shorter lived than it has been traditionally. And so you have to be able to keep up with that pace. I was having a conversation earlier today with someone about quantitative research, and I was like, that has to die soon. Like, you, we don't have time for three months of studies, and the same holds true for strategy. We don't have time like we used to to do strategy for three months and wait until we get it just right to then start creative, to then fill in the blank, put the package on the shelf, whatever. And if you don't adapt with that and get smarter about how you do strategy, you're not going to be able to survive that because it's just not the reality anymore. Yeah, and I know you, you made a really good point, Stephen. I felt this all the time. Again, I'm going to bring my client side perspective here since I'm kind of outnumbered <laughs> in the room. But that being said, um, I always felt like we knew we had too much strategy when we started having a conversation of hypotheticals all the time. Mm -hmm. Back to the, sub the subjectivity piece and the, the part that you said about the fact that it was like a beauty contest, like, Yes. I mean, because everybody has their opinion. Nobody's opinion is wrong until proven otherwise. Yeah. And that's always the hardest part to be. And it's like, well, we just have to put something out there and see so that we had the right criteria in which to evaluate whether or not the content or whatever the, the deliverable was going to be was going to be any good or was going to resonate. Just something to give us guidance because I would, gosh, gosh, only so many times get wrapped up in the fact that like, you know, you have a budget of, you know, say a certain amount of money. 75% of my budget would be eaten up by strategy before I even get to execution. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't do that. So I used to start setting a strategy budget or I used to set an execution budget. But for those people who are also struggling just to even get their clients to even consider strategy, my my little insider secret say, put it in the execution budget. Yep. Um, put it as a development item in the execution budget. They won't even know that you're actually doing it. <laughs> so And sometimes what they don't know won't hurt them. But there has to be, I totally agree, an element of like, just aligning on 
what are the like important principles for being able to develop this work? And Absolutely. I know we're going to get into a lot more detail on that. Yeah, so that's a great point, that. Anne. I, I would I would add that I, I would argue that I don't even know if you need to separate them out. Like exactly like you said, like to me, design and strategy sh- should be so intertwined that it's not there's strategy over here and there's design or creative over here. Like to me, that that should, that's one that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And so to even start carving out budgets for this or that is already signaling that an a la carte type thing where like oh I'll take this but not that part. Wouldn't really need all you need all of it, and so mm-hmm. figure out how to how to bake that all together is is kind of where we head. That's really super smart. All right, number three, and I'm a big. This is one of my very favorite ones. Creative strategy is the superhero that fights ego, which is ever present. And this one, Anne, I know you and I agree on. I'm gonna have something to say about this one, so make sure you <sighs> give me time to say something. Okay, fine. Anyway, there's a lot of ego in agency life. And in corporate life, I think this is something we agree on, but we'll see. And a strong creative strategy can work in support of the work and all the things we've been talking about, getting to the right solutions, getting to smart solutions, getting to things that satisfy the business, getting to things that are creative enough to win awards, but also achieve the objectives of whatever the project is. And I can think in my head, and I also will not name names, but there are plenty of folks throughout my career on both sides of the fence that would love to come in and rain down from on high, the loudest speaker in the room, their biggest personalities. And you'd hear things like, I just don't like that, or that's not how I would have done it. And those kinds of statements, first of all, they're ridiculous, right? Because as we said, this isn't a beauty contest, as we've been talking about. But if you have this strategy to start from, you can cut those off at the pass and insert all the reasons why this is actually the right solution. And even if they still disagree with you, the debate switches quickly to those points instead of just this is how I feel or this is what I like or I always use the example of like, I just don't like blue. I'm like, well, it's in your brand, so I guess maybe go find a new job, right? Like, I mean, there's lots of instances like that that come up. And I think in any sort of environment, this gets to be a really big distraction, and it's not healthy for anybody on the team, especially those that are actually responsible for getting the work done. And so I hate to see this happen, one, because... I'm not a huge fan of ego for ego's sake. And I also believe you should be able to back it up, especially if you're one of the executive level, a little bit of my soapbox for the day. But if this starts to happen, it really it it really erodes the confidence of the team. It distracts the work and it's just not a good place to be. So therefore, another support point for creative strategy is if you start from there and then you evaluate from there, you can eliminate ego more quickly. Don't ask the creative about ego. Um <laughs> No, no, there's, and also, there's and a healthy also, amount. There is a healthy amount. <laughs> you need a little bit, probably. No, Swagger. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in all in all seriousness, um, you know, half of half of being a creative is selling your work, mm-hmm. and when you can sell your work and root it in objective, aligned to ideas that makes it much easier for someone to disagree right and so using your your comment around the color like i don't like blue and we hear things like that all the time and you know our response is usually something around well 
blue might not be your favorite color, mm-hmm. but here's why we use blue. Mm-hmm. Blue represents this or this, and mm-hmm. your consumer does this, this, or this, and that's why blue's a good fit. Your competitors are using red and green, and blue's a white space area, opportunity space for, for color. So, uh, again, there's, there's, a, there's an emotional connection to creative work, but there also needs to be a rational side to it, and the creative strategy helps sync you up to that rational mm-hmm. um, explanation behind why something visually has turned into to what it looks like from the creative. I know, um, too, that this is a good way to make sure that you don't, back to the point of budget, waste a bunch of money in in like in serving somebody else's agenda, right? Which is a lot of what we're talking about here. And so I think, yes, it serves for good justification, but then also when you're thinking about you know, hours, which is a big thing on our side of the fence, right? If someone comes down and really wants to see something or the client that's not really part of the process typically comes in and wants to see something, you can quickly pull it back without wasting a whole bunch of time and effort, which I think is the other piece of this. And to your point where you're like, I only have so much money, right? right? And then we're responsible on the team doing the work for managing it, both against our internal teams and other folks, but also against the client. So... Yeah, I mean, I think strategy, it it helps um, eliminate a lot of unnecessary decisions, right? It it is about cutting away things that you can just align to in the beginning, aren't going to work, aren't a good use of time. And so you're being very choiceful with the decisions you're going to make moving forward. This relates very closely to something I always tell my kids and is an old saying right, or cliche about just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it, right? And so, very fair. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have said that exact quote to high-level clients at certain points in time. We're like, just because you can do that doesn't mean you should be doing that, right? Yep. And so that is what creative strategy helps you helps you do. Um, and, and while it might slow down the process initially, in the long run, it's going to end up making it more cost-efficient and time efficient yeah okay so go ahead wait for a second i pull out my soapbox oh here we go it's my tide box because i worked on tide and tide and so 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 many funny jokes it's so funny okay so here is my my soapbox the thing i've always struggled with and i think this plays into the ego piece is when a single person is called a creative it's the creative Mm. leader right and we've had this conversation before about structure where i feel this is Anne's pov ego tends to center itself when somebody feels like they're the king or queen supreme leader of whatever this like piece is and i feel like creative is kind of become that and the way that it always manifested itself in our meetings was that if it didn't come from this one person who was designated the creative (laughs) then it therefore was like not any good Right. And I was leading our communications team and our communications team had really good creative folks. And it's because we saw things from it through a different lens. We were developing creative in order for it to be a pool. Right. Mm -hmm. We wanted to engage people, whether it's digital content or, or video or whatever, in order to get people to want to talk about it so much that they wanted to, you know, put coverage against it. And that was our job. So we had like a really, I think, diverse and just a totally different perspective versus our designated creative who was like, I could do whatever I want because I'm just pushing it out there and I don't really care, you know, one way or the other. Okay, that's my soapbox piece, Steve. You can totally like (laughs) come back at me. And I know that's probably not the way you do work. But I I think for me, if we're going to eliminate ego, we have to designate the difference between a creative who has 
the role of making sure you're manifesting or cultivating creativity yes. among your whole entire team where creative can really come from anywhere. Like the ideas can come from anywhere. We always said that a PNG was never the case, right? Creative can only come from one specific person who you designated the creative. And really like embrace the fact that that is how you actually then create and then you come up with these magnificent ideas that are truly breakthroughs when you can embrace what everybody's perspective is. Again, using that as your parameters in your fence and then actually like be able to create something that's amazing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I do. I, I can't speak on behalf of the creative director in your past that dogged all the all the other ideas, but <laughs> to the point, they would just like not even bring them to the table. And I'm like, I knew that idea was there, or they change it and make them their idea, which I was always so mad. At. I mean, I think that goes back into again, like selling selling the work, right? So yeah. that creative director might have been in a position where they didn't have to work as hard to sell the work because they were just uh, treated with on, on such a, a pedestal as everyone else. But the majority of the time, that's not that's not the reality. And so being able to get other people on board, not only your own creative team, but the clients and and all the different departments of clients that you deal with, whether it's marketing or PR or any of the groups, they, they all have to be on board. Um, and I, I completely support the idea that I, there's a creative is, it can be anyone. It really is. is as, as just cliche as that sounds. That's true. Uh, I, it, when you were talking, it reminded me of, um, a class in design school at UC, DAB, mm -hmm. April probably had the same class, where I remember a, a pretty early on class where you were given an assignment to a problem solve something, but you weren't allowed to use traditional tools. You couldn't use a computer. You couldn't, mm -hmm. you couldn't use, you had, you had to use like crayons. And, <laughs> and I remember at the time, like, this is stupid. Like, why are we doing this? And it was to separate the craft and the execution from the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thinking there was like, concentrate on what, you, what the idea is and, and don't even be concerned with how that manifests itself from a craft standpoint because it's about the idea first. And so that's a good thing to understand, too, is that there's ideas and then there's also how those ideas are executed. Mm -hmm. And they both have to be at a high level for them to work, the craft and the, and the idea. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think, too, I mean, touching also on your point, Anne, which I will begrudgingly agree with. Um, Told you. But <laughs> is that. Yes, ideas can come from anywhere, but the best ideas come from everyone. And so I think some of the best experiences I've ever had is when I was in lockstep with you, Steve, or another creative, you know, as the two leads from a strategy and creative standpoint, and even better if you had an account person who really was in lockstep as well. And so you served cross-functionally the best um, efforts and pulled the right people and got all the ideas together. But it was the ability to then build on those ideas. And so it went all the way through from initial phase of really great, like a whole bunch of really great, rich ideas because you were all working together and building. And then that process coming all the way through to execution. And and I think your point's well taken is that it does take everybody, right? Because the person desi designing the package isn't the person that's setting the PR, isn't the person on Tide that's doing the Olympics, right? So all the pieces have to work together. And I think this point about ego, which is, you know, where we started, it's about when it's not about the whole team effort and it just becomes about one single person or an organization, which I've also been a part of, which where it's every man for himself. And this is a danger with strategy teams. It's a danger with creative teams. It's a danger with client teams where the culture of the organization is I have to be the one to come up with the best fill in the blank. And then none of that collaboration ever takes place and none of the ideas get to where they need to get to. 
Yeah, I mean, I will say the idea of collecting information or good ideas from anyone at any place is absolutely 100% the right way to go. But there does come a point where that is why you hire a creative specialist to ultimately make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Oh, so, you, need, for sure. you need somebody to filter and be an expert. That exactly. Yeah. Right. Like I think creative when it's treated as a democracy is just always <laughs> a bad idea. Right. It's just not going to work out. So at a certain point, there does need to be a creative director or someone to say, cool, time out. We're, we've, we're, we've taken, we're listening to you. We, I hear you, Anne. I hear your ideas. <laughs> right. I hear your ideas, April. And then, but, but you're paying me money to do this job yeah. and I have a lot of experience doing this. So I've heard you and, but this is what I'd recommend. And this is mm-hmm. why we'd recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and that's the right ego, right? I mean, that's that's the when you're playing your actual role versus you're serving whatever is within yourself to make the decision. It is your job at the mm-hmm. end of the day to make the call. Yeah, I mean, let us do what, what you're paying us to do at the end of the day. Yeah. All right, point number four. This is a big one. Without complete alignment, there is no creative strategy. And this, is, I think, is almost a good summary point to the conversation we've just had. And it's really around the idea that you might build the best creative strategy in the world, but if you don't socialize it appropriately, if you don't bring people along, if you don't get people shaking their heads and saying, yes, I agree with that, and I understand how that works, and I can go and work against that, this is where really where the rubber meets the road. And if that does not happen, then you may as well not have done the strategy work in the first place, because you have to have that foundation like we've talked about, but right behind it, everyone has to buy it and buy into it. And that starts with those people that are the leads of the functions and the teams making sure that everyone understands its importance, but then every single team member knowing how to interpret it and go and do against it because they believe in what has been set forth. This is one of my favorite ones. You know why? Good. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I agree with what you just said in the sense that it's, it's a waste of time if you're not connecting it at the end. So I've had I've had a lot of experiences in my career. I might have even said this to you, April, where I looked at strategy or something and I said, so what mm-hmm. at the end, right? And mm-hmm. so it, half of the work is is collecting and auditing and understanding and, and, cre- and, and starting to lay a foundation. But if you're not laying a careful trail of breadcrumbs that connects it to where you want to go, it, it doesn't it doesn't get there and mm-hmm. it is inefficient. And so for me, you know, like if you're not being very careful with how you're telling that story of the strategy, it, it, it misses the mark. It's very much the same way with how we present creative that you you have to be speaking the same language as who, as your client and your consumer and making sure they are following what you're trying to lay lay down in terms of of the roadmap. And then the other part on this one that I that I have seen a lot and the good strategists don't do this, but it's just they don't come out of uh, of a documentation or a strategy session with with a distinct point of view. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it, it turns into more of here's what we're seeing. And here's some observations. And again, that leads to me to say, so what? Because we need to come out of that with a sharp point yep. for where the creative is going to go. And if you don't get all the way to that point at the end, again, it's just it, it turns into a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, we've had the conversation a lot, and um, this has been my soapbox for a lot of years, but there's a big difference between observations and insights. 
And I think that's when that happens, right? It's like, this could go here. Look at this over here. I'm super interested in this. And then, yes, you it leads to the so what? When really that point of view comes from an insight that you have gotten because of the in-depth work that you as the strategist have done to say, this is the consumer angst point. This is the problem that we are uniquely going to solve for. If you remember nothing else, you need to work from this place. And I had one creative director that was not Steve, that we would go toe to toe and like fight about this, right? Because I would start talking and he'd be like, one thing. I'd be like, I need, and I'm, I almost said his name. I need to explain one thing, April, one thing. I want one thing. And it infuriated me at the time, but it made me a much better strategist overall because it taught me to be super concise. And even if I needed to contextualize, I needed to come out of the gate with the one thing because he was like, my attention span is minutes. So if you don't tell me what I'm working against right now, I'm, I'm gone. I love this. <laughs> I'm going to make a note of this. I'm going to do this. No, I, you're, you're totally right. Like I don't work with you anymore, so it won't be. No, well, I love it. Everyone's attention span is like the same length as a gnat right now, right? Yeah. And so you can't assume people have the time or diligence or, or even desire to absorb a lot of information. And so being able to distill it down to to one, I imagine that was probably pretty hard. But like, if you're only going to take one thing away from this, that like this is the one thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can layer in some of the depth in case, uh, you know, someone wants all that information. Mm -hmm. Or it it sets the guardrails. Then but it sets but, the guardrails yeah. too. But I, I think it's also good to have what is that headline on the strategy because you can't assume all the creatives at every level are going to be fully acknowledging all the hard work that's gone into it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think normally where this breaks down is when, and it's usually on the client side, so I'll say it was like when, if you guys get super specific on something, we're like, oh, wait a minute, that's not talking to enough people, right? <laughs> so then yep. it's like, oh, we need to broaden it out so it's more general, and then you kind of lose some of the element of the, the POV, because I totally agree with you that that's so important if you're creating those relationships with your consumers and make sure the consumer knows you are talking to them. Otherwise, you know, what's the point in this day and age? Because if I have to think too hard as a consumer to, to decide, is this brand speaking to me or not? I just, I just disregard and I like, I move on. So I think that's like a really, really fantastic point. And my caution on the client side is to make sure that you're honoring your target and making sure that you're very super specific about the target, the angst, the target's um, feeling, as well as the emotion associated with that so that the creative can come together and really deliver about uh, on what you wanted to deliver. And I would say that on, you know, the, the other side of that, too, um, and this is a slightly different point, so just like a little bit of a corner point here, is I think when we also break down this discussion here um, about alignment is a lot of times the client either doesn't feel they can or don't do it well is to give feedback. And that was a long setup to say, because I'm also having trouble articulating it without being insulting, because I feel like I still have PTSD <laughs> from trying to give feedback in a shit sandwich, so that it seemed nice enough, but like my, like, you know, my agencies knew what to go do with that, which 90% of the time they didn't, right? So then that always got things off the rails. So then you couldn't reach alignment. So then you get off the brief and then you're just like, well, where am I? And then you're like, oh, it was, it was probably the brief's fault, right? And so that's how like it all kind of like just circulates and and, and generally you get nowhere. So um, I, I think what I'm suggesting is that everybody just needs to be very open to feedback because I know a lot of times client side, they feel real, it, it's really hard to give feedback. So you don't bruise ego. So you still have a team that feels very inspired to go do work, but you want to be very direct, especially if you don't like it. You're like, I 
I don't like it. But we always try to find something nice to say about it and kind of keep it alive. We don't kill anything, right? So it becomes like that alignment piece just I, I feel like it gets kind of like pushed like down the lo- the road mm-hmm. so like you feel like you're aligned in the moment but then you know the can gets kicked down the road so you know i wonder if it has to do with our midwest politeness as a culture i, I don't know because i would much rather have a meeting where we know walking out the door we tanked it right i would much yeah. i would mu- as angry as it might make me in the moment see, they would say that but then like you hear <laughs> from your boss's boss that you said like they didn't like my work. I, I can only speak from my own personal uh. experience, but you know, I've left many meetings where we had heads nodding. We're like, "Sweet, we crushed it. It was a great meeting." And then you get the feedback a couple of days later, and it's like you missed the mark, you know, for uh. X, Y, and Z reasons. And it's like, it's well, we just wasted three days. And oh, by the way, having those conversations as hard as conflict can be, but having them in person is much more effective and productive and, and, and problem solving. The best clients I've had were the ones that we did just kind of hash it out together. And sometimes that might have gotten uncomfortable or ugly, but in the long run, you know, much like a, a marriage or relationship, you learn how you learn how to work together and you learn how to problem solve as a joint team, mm-hmm. which is, is just going to be more successful in the long term. There was something else I was going to say um, before when we were talking about the distilled down strategy point of view. You mentioned this earlier, April. We didn't really talk too much about it, but things are so different now in terms of strategy and how it relates to a digital world. Yeah. In the sense that in the past, I think it was very monolithic, the way strategy worked. You had this brand positioning and it was very concrete and you don't move that. And while I still believe a lot of that is true, there is much more flexibility that needs to be built into the strategy now, depending on the channels and who you're talking to and the ability to target consumers, you're not going to talk to all your different segments in the exact same way. And so there Mm -hmm. is nuances within the strategy to make sure it is connecting, whether you're talking to the older side of your demographic or the lower side, the same way as the differences between talking to someone on Facebook or Instagram versus how you'd be talking to them on Reddit. And even now as we get into the TikTok world, right? And Mm -hmm. so I believe at the core, the positioning and the strategy is still the same, but you have to be able to tease out different kind of ways in mm-hmm. uh, that that connect more uh, closely to who you're talking to and where you're talking to them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well. I think you always kind of go back to that one thing, right? And then from there, tonally, you take different approaches a lot of times. And so we always say the right message to the right person in the right place at the right time and that that is the new way to look at it. And I think that time piece is huge because we don't have a lot of it anymore and we're getting bombarded all the time. But that time piece to me is always like, make sure that it it is like hitting the way that it needs to hit. And so I think the strategy, you're right, it can it can be whatever it initially was, but it also has to be a lot more flexible than ever before. Because we used to say, a brand positioning lasts 10 to 15 years. I don't know that that's always true. Not that the essence of it isn't there, but it might change month over month because you're trying new things out and you've hit a new consumer. I mean, there's so many things that can happen to force that change. And so we've talked about it a lot more lately as brands being living, breathing things, which is not a new term, but like very truly that that's what is happening mm-hmm. and that there's lots of different lenses and shades of personality. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a tension that exists with brand building in between consistency and, and flexibility. It's just 
it's inherent. It's just always going to be there because on one hand, one hand, you have to be ultra consistent uh, with the way you look and the way you sound at certain times and places. And that also depends on the, where the brand's at in its maturity level. Yeah. Right. So earlier brands and younger brands, they, they really need to be just hammering like one thing just over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because as much as we as we want to think our consumer is really paying attention to those things, they're, they're not. And so you have to – and I say that with like a little bit of attitude there because Hurts as a creative, a I want to keep doing different <laughs> things. But the reality is it takes a very long time for that one initial message to, to start clicking. And so on one hand, you have to be uber consistent just all the time. But then you have to be relevant and you have to know when the right time is to flex and when, when those nuances come in. And to show the versatility of the brand and be able to connect at the level you need to connect at. And so that tension always exists. And it's really hard to talk through because it sounds like you're talking on both sides of your mouth. You're supposed to be consistent, but you need to be flexible. Well, which one is it? Well, it depends. Hey, it's a lot of money. We'll tell you. No, I um, No, it, 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 yeah, it depends. There's a lot of variables that go into that, that consideration. All right, so that is a good stopping point for our first four foundational strategic principles, but I will recap them quickly because we just talked about a whole bunch of stuff and we've gotten the feedback that this is super helpful to bring us back. So the necessity for creative strategy. Number one, creative, unlike art, needs to be objective versus subjective. There is a big difference between art for art's sake and design, and this is where it lives. Number two, caution, there is such a thing as too much strategy. This isn't about getting every single data point and insight available. It's about getting enough to move forward. Number three, creative strategy is a superhero that fights ego, which is ever-present. Unfortunately, this is always a risk, but this is a solid way to combat it. And finally, without complete alignment, there is no creative strategy. This is Steve's favorite. He said it. You heard it. The best strategy in the world falls to the wayside if the team doesn't believe in it and use it. You have asked for it, and now it's here. The Brand Strategy Workbook. Three insider secrets to build a powerful B2B brand to transform you from a commodity into a market leader. This strategy has been tried and tested on 20-plus industries over a combined 40-plus years of experience. Do you want to stand out in your industry and get more sales? Show you're different to attract and retain top talent? Build a brand that drives real business results? Then go to forthright-people.com forward slash brand-strategy and get started now. And with that, we will move on to our In the Trenches segment, which is where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put into action. Number one, my head of creative says that strategy is hindering the team's creativity. How can I get her on board? All right. This can be a big one. We've talked around this, I feel like, a lot. So let's just hit it head on. First and foremost, the organization from the very top must, must, must respect the marriage of strategy and creative and the importance of both and the equal importance of both. If you don't have that, it's going to be really hard because, again, you're going to come from a really nebulous place of who speaks the loudest, who fights the hardest, who digs their heels in the most. It's just going to become a big argument, right? But if you have that, then really it becomes about relationship. And I... 
begrudgingly learned <laughs> to do this. Again, I had, like I said, that one creative director that was just going to, you know, fight with me all the way through if I didn't give him his one thing. So all of the things that deal with relationship apply here because Steve's here today to talk about the importance of strategy, right? So unless you have someone who's just being ridiculous and wants to be the most creative person and is afraid to have this type of confrontation, you can get to a rational place with it. And so what I will recommend from experience, and I'll be interested to see what Steve says, but number one, we've talked about being in lockstep with your creative, and that is really, really important. And the way to do that is to have the open debate and discussion we were just referencing in the same room with each other, and this is important, without anyone else around. And I say that when I was not on that side and we got in a screaming match in front of both of our teams. And as you can imagine, that did not lead to a good place and really shook the teams and scared everybody and made them not want to talk to us for a couple of days. So little anecdotal example there. And then also lean into each other, right? So one of the things that I've loved most about where I've landed in my career is that I started with a design degree. So Steve referenced us both going to DAP, but quickly realized that I'm not very good actually at the execution part of it. I like the ideas and then I kind of fall off from there. But even with that design background, it took me a long time to be able to lean into what the creatives really needed in order to make my intent of the strategy work for them. And so there's work to be done just from that front. Even if you have the single thing and you wholeheartedly believe it's the right thing, again, to that last point we just made, if you can't translate that in a way that your creative partner understands or believes in, it's not going to go anywhere from there. And then the other thing I will say is, well, besides don't fight in front of other people, especially debate, that's fine. Midwestern nice is definitely here to stay, unfortunately, in this part of the country, I think. But Get to a place of compromise. So you just like you don't have to have 100% the best strategy baked, you know, to the point where it's just indestructible. You also can give and take in that relationship. And so it's it's not something you can build overnight. It's not something you can change somebody's mind on like that. But if you continue to work together, you can chip away at what issues you each have related to whatever you're working on and get to a place where you both can live. And that really is ultimately what you're looking for, especially if you're like me on the side of strategy and you have someone on the creative side that just doesn't buy it. Yeah, I think uh, I'll bring ego back into this because we're talking about creative side too, right? I, I think a lot of creatives feel threatened by strategists, right? There's this power thing and control mm -hmm. and they want to take credit for the ideas and sharing that process can be difficult for some creatives. And so, you know, what I like to talk about with whoever I partner with in, in strategy is that it's almost like a lever or balance of, of who, who has the ultimate say with sort of where work is going. So meaning in the beginning, when you're partnering with a strategist, the strategist, absolutely a good strategist should be leading the work. They should have inputs from the creative. Absolutely. Get the creatives on board. But ultimately, the strategist is the one driving that work. When you get to the creative aspect, the creative is the decision maker. They should be driving the work with heavy inputs from the strategist, right? And so I've never, hopefully I've never been threatened by strategists. <laughs> never say uh -huh. never. I might hear from some strategists in the past. <laughs> but I want the work to be good and smart. And so why would I turn away smart people trying to give me smart ideas to make my work better? 
it doesn't it, to me that's counterintuitive of what you're trying to accomplish and so it's it's not a, a threatening situation where someone's taking ownership of something it's a shared ownership and a shared responsibility that as a cumulative effect ends up in better smarter work yeah and i think on the um on the client side i, I have seen this happen multiple times and usually it happens well, I would say like 50-50, um, the, the brief or whatever the strategy is, is a little overly confining. And I think this sometimes becomes sometimes like the Achilles heel of the strategist where they feel like they need to know so much about mm -hmm. what is going on within the business and within, you know, all these like, you know, kind of going into the rabbit hole of details and stuff like that. Then it all gets put into the strategy. And then the creative is like, I don't even know where my space is. Like, what is my space? So I have seen that happen a lot where, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of times it's the exercise of the strategist because they're trying to really uncover those things, but they're not sometimes as um, filtered as translating that into a strategy that the creators could go work on. I've also seen this happen where <laughs> we like we would develop a like a strategy on the client side or a brief on the on the on the client side and then the agency develops their own creative strategy and <laughs> brief and then I'm like why is there two, you know? And so it's like, well, yours is too confining. Well, mine's like what I'm setting up to tell you what your parameters are in order to develop to deliver good work that's going to help build the business. So what's yours say? Well, we can't share ours with you. You know, it's like you're going to mess it up. I'm like, well, we have a problem now. So I've seen that happen, too, where then like it just kind of gets like, you know, left and right kind of get crossed and you just don't know what you're going to end up getting. But then I also say, well, why? Why do you feel like you don't have enough space? And sometimes it's just the fact that, um, uh, you know, there's not a, maybe sometimes there's not enough information. There's not enough like um, different, uh, like you said, smart people kind of like attacking the problem because it could be a really challenging problem. But sometimes what we hear, again, I see with the ego thing kind of coming to play is it's not my fault. It's all your guys' fault. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why this is not working out right. So you know, it's 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 a kind of a hard like it's a hard like line to to walk. I can tell even on the agency side, sitting on the client side, kind of watching you guys kind of navigate that work internally. But I always find it kind of goes like you know all different directions if not united on the common brief or the common um, creative strategy. Um, but I'm always open if they feel like they're being too confined. I'm like, well, then do what we ask you to go do mm -hmm. and then bring us some other ideas. Like if you want to do it, like that's on your time. That's <laughs> we're not paying for that. So you're you're going to invest in that and you're going to do that. But if you feel like that way, show it to us. I mean, well, we always would listen. Yeah, you just said exactly what I was going to say. And how I've, I've tried to manage that situation in my experience has been doing exactly what you said, meaning we saw your brief. We read it. Here's what you asked for. Right? And it's mm -hmm. good. It's great. You're going to love it. But. <laughs> do, you, do you do it just like that, too? But, I wish no, we were on video for a no, second because that was hilarious. That's not how I would uh, present it. But, um, again, this goes back to let the people that you're paying to do a job do their job. And so if, if the agency – you know, does what you ask them to. Sometimes the danger for the agency is that, that is too limiting what they come back with. And the client's like, okay, this is what, what I asked you to do. But when I see it, this isn't really what I want. Yeah. Right. Yep. And mm -hmm. so a, a, a good creative will, will take that and, and do what's requested as a, a, a CYA. 
and mm-hmm. they'll also push it further and they'll say and, and usually in my experience the way i have liked to present it is show the client what they want first and then go further and say well based on the strategy or the insights or things that we've experienced we feel like you should push further in this direction but here's why right mm-hmm, and again mm-hmm. trying to sync it back up to objective thinking and objective rationale versus just like this one looks cooler yep no i think that's totally right on all right number two in the trenches what is the best type of team to build a creative strategy that is effective so i'll put a fine point on a couple of things we've said throughout the course of this conversation number one your lead strategist and lead creative need to be arm in arm and in agreement Number two, and right behind it, is if you have a team that all understands regardless of role and believes in strategy, that's really where you've hit the jackpot. So I mentioned before that, you know, if you have a creative that believes in strategy and a strategist that believes in creative, but then also an account manager, for an example, that really understands and wants to participate and even a project manager, production crew, whatever it is. If all of the people understand and believe that that's the place you start from, that is the best team you can possibly have. And that is not always something that I think people come in the door with. So I also made the comment before about it has to come as a directive and belief from the top. And that is hugely important. And so as a result of that, sometimes what you do have to do is young team members, ones that have worked at agencies where it isn't valued, you have to train them and teach them what this actually means because strategy is a very big word. And it can be a buzzword and it can be one that means a whole lot of different things, whether you're talking client or type of agency or type of agency work or type of creative strategy can be all different things. And so you have to be able to define it in a way that your team understands. And then from a personality standpoint, the best team members are the ones that are curious and open-minded. Steve mentioned, I really just want the work to be good. At the end of the day, if you have people that believe that the best work will come out by following the strategy all the way through the creative execution, and that's really what they want, that's the perfect team. Yeah, I would stress the point you made early on on that was it comes from the top down, right? Like you establish a culture where you respect the thinking and doing the due diligence and that almost always has to come from leadership it's it's hard mm-hmm. to uh, it's hard to build that from the ground up and so either you know establishing that at the top or joining an organization where they inherently already understand the value of strategy goes a long way that being said that's not always the reality mm-hmm. and so there it is a process and for me in particular being patient with that process is hard <laughs> at times, but I do have to kind of just level set myself and my team at times that we're, we're, we need to understand that we're bringing people along on the on the journey and they're at various points of the journey. Yeah, Some are further along and some aren't, and that's, that's okay because ultimately we need all these people on board with us. And so whatever it takes to get them there, and as long as that takes, as much energy as that takes, that's fine. Uh, we just have to be okay with the fact that people are at different points of their, their journey on understanding that. Yeah, and I think this kind of um, rubs up a little <laughs> a bit against another pet peeve of mine. I know you know what I'm going to say Jeez, here. here we go. About when you bring 20 agency people to a meeting, <laughs> right? Um, Watch yourself, Ann, whatever you're getting ready to say. <laughs> I think a, a really great skill for anybody to have, especially um, on the creative strategy side, is like I feel like sometimes the strategy person is the is the mouthpiece, and the creative person's like the one that's locked in the back room, and they kind of you're do not their allowed little to see thing. or talk to them. Yeah, it's kind of like you know the the wizard, you know, and you know, is it a Oz and who's behind the curtain and that kind of stuff. 
I feel like in this day and age that your your creative have to be as communicative and as um, relatable um, and be able to engage with the client as much as everybody else. And sometimes I think that's really hard for agencies to wrap their mind around. I know it was when I was working with some of the P&G um, agencies that we have because then the account lead's like, well, what's my job then? Mm-hmm. Because the account lead's like, my job is to translate all this for you guys. And we're like... Are we speaking a different language? Because <laughs> the last time I checked, we were all speaking English, right? So, like, why can't that the, the creative come to our meeting and be able to express what was in their head when they kind of came up with this creative versus having to have two people translate it for me so that I'm like, it's, you know, your interpretation of what was in their head. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I think that is becoming a really, really important point when we were able to have that and, you know, the creative didn't combust, you know, and like, you know, totally like have a, like a, you know, major like meltdown or anything like that. <laughs> they were able to like endure and they learned how to do it, you know, more and more. Um, it definitely helped to facilitate more collaborative sessions. It definitely helped to facilitate um, faster productivity, more efficiency, all of that great stuff. And everybody still found a role to play in that. Um, and I thought that that was incredibly important. And it does start to like streamline how many people show up at a meeting um, because you have to have other people doing your business. I'm like, it do- it's not cost efficient for an agency to have 20 people to show no. up because you have more than one client, right? So um, that was my... I'm a big. Oh, it's totally fine. No, I can um, see him chomping at the bit. Like I'm, I'm ready I'm to speak. I'm a very big advocate of like you should only be in meetings if you're adding value. And you're right. I, I think it is completely fair to say in the past agencies have a there's a perception of a bloated nature, right? With how many <laughs> how many account it. people? And, very diplomatic. And and, and I, I I get that. I totally understand it. And I think that does go back to what you said too, just about feeling threatened and like, well, this is my job. So if someone takes that away from me by having the creative present the work, then what am I here for? And the second point, you know, I wanted to make too was like a lot of creatives don't want to be in front of you, Anne, as a I client. I know. And, and they, but they need to be, right? They need so to be. They need to be. But the reality is a lot of them want to just make cool cool stuff, right? And they don't, they don't want to sell the work. It's a mandatory for me that every designer that I have can sell the work. I've, I force them to give presentations when they don't want to because they need to get the experience yeah. and they need to be able to put in words what they're doing on a visual level. And again, it goes back to selling the work. You have to be able to sell your work. You have to be able to 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 communicate it in a way that gets people's heads nodding and they say, yeah, yes, this is the right solution. And the reality is some people are really good at that and some creatives may never get good at that. But... I find a lot of them can get at least better at it or adequate. They just need to do it a lot, right? It's like yeah. public speaking or anything else. Mm-hmm. Like just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get doing it. And so a lot of times, it, unfortunately for some clients who have to endure bad presentations, maybe in the beginning by young creatives, <laughs> you got you to gotta like, just like test the waters and get, you get your experience somehow. But um, ultimately, they can, they can get there. You just have to do it a lot. You have to present a lot. Yeah, and I think that's why you have your supporting cast there too, right? But I also felt it was a benefit for the creative to hear directly from the client yes. versus it going through multiple stages. And then obviously be part of that onboarding where they were understanding where all of this was coming from because I thought it gave them a different appreciation when they went to go do the work. 100%. Right? So I, that, yeah, so I totally agree with you. I was I was totally fine watching you know a creative for the first time try to go through their presentation. It was totally fine. I, I'd much rather have that than for them to like hide away and like 
not know what came, like what was going through their head. Yeah. Like, that was always my first question. What's going through your head when you were developing this? Where did it come from? You know, and so- It's not like it's lost in the translation yeah. when someone else is presenting your work. That's another reason besides forcing my designers to do uncomfortable presentations is that they can, they might be articulating things that I might miss as the creative director, but yeah. I wasn't necessarily the one all week doing all the little details mm -hmm. but then when i present the work i could be glossing over very important points right yeah that because i just wasn't as close to it that you know that needs to be said and needs to be heard and so you're totally right and and i also i love being copy on every email communication to clients right like a lot of creatives will be like no 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 i don't need to see that i just, thought you were kidding for no me. i was waiting for no the no like they're like <laughs> i just tell me what i need to do at the end of the day i'm like no no i i want to see in your words you, the client, I want to see exactly what you're writing. I want to see the word choices. I want to see how you're phrased. I want to see the tone. I don't want someone else to translate that for me. Right. Because, um, not to, I have to be careful with how I phrase this, I, I don't always trust other people to interpret messages for me. I need to be able right. to hear that mm -hmm. with my own ears and filter through and process that and not the version that someone has already kind of edited for yep. me. I totally agree. Yes, and I, I think there are two is one, just presentation skills are so important regardless of what job you do and whether you stay a designer and all of that. But I feel like creative, the creative position in a company is always tricky because unless you want to be on a management track like you, Steve, right? You rise through the ranks, you get a team, you excel at that. That's what you're meant to be doing. There are others that have no interest in that, but then they stagnate. And I think it's because they're never pushed to move beyond doing the doing on the board. And so regardless of what you want your ultimate path to be, because I think there are things broken with saying you only get promoted if you're going to be a manager, right? But if you could get promoted because you're able to be that presence in the room, you can stand up and give the explanation, you're just wicked creative with the ability to talk about that in front of other people, I've always thought that could be another potential way right for creatives to get the credibility they deserve but i also think if you don't ever learn to even just talk about your work let alone sell it you're never going to be really good because mm -hmm. you have to be able to articulate beyond just like the, the thoughts in your head in a very succinct way or your design eventually will just become all over the place mm-hmm all right number three in the trenches how do i involve the client in the strategy <laughs> All right, Anne. I'm not going to have anything to say about this one. <laughs> okay, so when it comes to the client, best client, right, similar to what we just said about best team, they believe in it from the beginning, right? But Steve has made the point several times today about people being at different points in the journey, different levels of sophistication, different roles in the work itself, all of those types of things. And so this is where I think we say – you don't have to necessarily call it strategy, right? You don't have to give them the 50-page deck and beat them over the head and try to tell them that this is the way they must start. We've talked about even like hiding it in the budget, making it one budget, all of those types of things. Mm -hmm. The important thing here is that the agency does not feel like they can't do their best job because the strategy is being minimized so much. And so to me, that has always been the point of like, no, thank you with clients. And especially since we've started our own thing and can kind of control that on a daily basis is if you just want us to make pretty pictures, if that's really what you're saying that you want us to just start doing, the answer is no. 
But outside of that, in my mind, the client can be as involved or not in the strategy. They just have to be able to evaluate the work by what you put in front of them. And there are so many different tools out there to be able to do this, whether it's just success criteria or, hey, we have a one sentence setup, but they're very strategic and that they compare the differences between each of the concepts. And you might not even know that that's what we're doing. But I actually, actually think some of the smartest strategy happens when there isn't the overt presentation of it, because you have to think harder and you have to make it better and you have to give it the right presence and the right time. So you have to be super choiceful. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the only thing I'd add on that is, um, going back to understanding your client and that relationship again, and, and, and understanding that level of involvement that they want to take. Cause you're right. Some of them don't want to be involved. They trust you go do it. And then other ones do, do you want some level of visibilities? And I've had the spectrum of everything. Same. So I've had clients who are in the trenches with us, building the strategy together and want alignment on that before it goes up the chain or, or before any creative work is done. I've had other ones just say, go ahead and just bake it in. But I, you know, present it along with the creative. And then I've had other ones who'd be like, no, nah, thanks. We don't want strategy, but again, going back to what I said before, we're, we're always going to force some level of strategy into any presentation because it helps us sell it. And so I, I think it boils down to that communication and level of relationship that you have, depending on the client to scale up or down the level of involvement and the level of um, effort that goes into the strategy portion of a, of a project. Yeah. And I think we, I mean, even just from my experience at P&G, we've been in every one of those positions without a doubt. And I think the one takeaway I have, and I, cause ironically <laughs> we mentor and coach strategists. So there's me, you know, mentoring and coaching strategists, but, um, <laughs> is that a lot of times, again, I think a strategist in, in an effort to complete the picture, expect too much from the client. Um, and this goes back to what I was saying before about having to know every single thing and how every single thing, like, buttons up and all the cross like you know um just relationships and and, and just like it, it becomes like i said like a rabbit hole initially and a lot of times they ask very smart questions that <laughs> the clients just don't have an answer to and that gets them really stuck then in what to go do next um, and i've seen it happen a lot of times on the client side where they come back like well we don't know what to go do with you know we don't either either have enough of what you gave us or they get too much and then they just kind of like you know just sit there with it back to the point you were making before and i think here what i what i tell what i coach is get enough that you feel like you have like at least enough knowledge to start putting something together and then always lead with what your assumptions were Mm -hmm. So based on like if, if if there's something it was incomplete, make an assumption. That's totally fine. State what that is. And then just to say, well, this is what I created the work behind. This is my strategy based on the assumptions I made. You can have your client challenge the assumptions and say, well, that assumption wasn't quite right. Well, great. Let's have a conversation about that then. So if your assumption is different, then this is how it impacts the way that I thought about this. And this is where you're going to go. Is that good or is that not good? So make it a bad a conversation because I, I feel like sometimes like I remember like getting asked, like it was like a, just a bombardment of like questions all the time. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I really <laughs> That's honestly. That's what I'm saying you. Go figure yeah, it out. Go figure it out. I'm like, I, I honestly don't know. And and, and so um, that's just my one caution on that. Although I always love being part of the strategy, but I liked it when the agency told me when they wanted me to engage. I also liked it that it wasn't fully baked when I got it. So I had an ability to input. I did not like it. And I could always tell when it was happening when it was just a check the box thing where the agency was kind of putting it in front of me just to say that they, they shared it with me, mm -hmm. but they really weren't open to having a conversation about it. So I think it's 
really important for the agency to be very clear what their work style is too, and make sure that marries up with the way the client wants to go do the work, like you said, across that spectrum. And it may not be the way that you actually want to do the work, but you also remember on the agency side, like the client is paying you <laughs> for the work. So like if I was going to say like which way you had to like flex on that one, you know, it, it has to be on the agency side. Yeah, I think that level of connection is super important, right? And that's why I've really enjoyed being back in front of people right after the last year, because I think you just, you miss some things when you're on screen having meetings that you pick up on when you're sitting in next to people in a, in a meeting, right? Yeah. And so yes. you, you can sense uneasiness or nervousness or confusion, or you, you just pick up on body body movement and, and eye kind of motions and things. And, and so um, being able to pick up on that and adjust on the fly is, is super important. And I, I just, I love being around people again. I can't say that enough um, because I, I just, it's so valuable. It really yeah. is very valuable in the business world having, having those conversations in person. Mm. I echo that, man. I'm way less depressed this year. <laughs> Jeez, so you're really depressed when it was just me and you, April? <laughs> I wasn't even seeing you for a period of time. <laughs> so our last in the trenches question is a creative strategy project you're most proud of. And I think this will help put a bow on our experiences and, and also I think the different perspectives that come when you're either strategy or creative or on the client side, as Anne's participated today. Uh, but the one I will say and. I when Steve first put the reference in the episode about the fence, I it really hit me and I'm I'm a sucker for a good metaphor, but I do think that's a really nice way to explain it in a way that can make strategy a lot more approachable. And so my example comes from um, the last agency that I was at, which was Curiosity. I can go ahead and say it because anyone that's listening is going to know this ex- this example. Um, but I was in a unique position when I went to join there because I have the desire to help the advertising space embraced strategy up front more readily because I had a frustration from years of building the front end strategy and then seeing from an advertising and communication perspective, it not come out the way that I had anticipated. And so in joining this organization, it was definitely a very good fit from like a personality temperament, the way I looked at the work perspective. So it felt like a very a somewhat friendly and approachable environment to try and go and do this, which I did build them a department and ultimately ended up going on my own as a result of that. But I will say it was not an easy journey. And I remember, and this is where a lot of my advice comes from, is from the mistakes that I made, quite honestly. I remember going in there and almost having heart palpitations, watching the reviews before we went in front of clients because there wasn't a lot of strategic upfront. And I would ask questions like, well, where is this coming from? Or where did this idea come from? And the room would get so mad at me and defensive and the egos would come out. And then I wasn't getting invited to meetings. And I was like, all right, we got to take a different approach with this. Right. And so I started having more conversations outside of the situation to try to circulate what I was talking about. And then also try to put some examples in front of people and make little moves versus just trying to come in and be like, we need strategy. You don't have it. This is how it's going to go. Right. And so I was probably a little over a year into being there and we got a really big opportunity to work with a local hospital. And it was a really big pitch. It was one of those RFPs for you agency people listening where you had to do a big spec campaign, several concepts. They were very specific. There were four or five agencies in the running. We started with a list of 20 and got down to that list. And you had to really put your best foot forward. And ultimately, they were likely going to just be buying one of the campaigns that was presented. And so 
I was listed as the the lead overall for this pitch, and then I was matched with a creative lead. And this was another example where I didn't do the right thing. So because I was the lead, I felt like I had the right to enforce strategy on that team. And everything went okay in the beginning. We did our initial digging. I'm always a fan of talking in term less in terms of like here's the 50 page deck, but here are the inputs, right? So we talked through what is the business looking for, what brand exists for them today? Where do they live in the competitive space? Where do they live in the healthcare category in total? And how do they hold up? And then ultimately, who is their consumer unique from anyone else? And we did a pretty hefty uh, immersion and upfront and doing that. That all went great. And then we got to the creative strategy portion. And so I wrote up my typical concepts like I do, and I hung them on a wall, and I did not share them with my creative lead before we had this meeting. And I brought everybody in for our third or fourth meeting, and I thought I was on a roll, and everything just went to shit. And we took a big pause at that point in the project, and I had to do all the things we've talked about today, get alignment with my creative director, explain why I did it that day. I was not trying to, you know put a heavy hand or exert my ego or say I knew everything. I really was just trying to do what I had done at other places, which is to write up the concepts and that's the handover phase. And so we worked through a lot of that and it was a messy process to be totally honest. But I will say that there are a few times in my career that I've ever been as proud as I was of that team the day we went to present. Number one, we were hands down the winner. I mean, there was no question. We were in the room with the other creatives. We had the boards that were extremely thought through. They all followed a strategic structure. We started with the insight. We explained how we brought this concept to life against it. The executions were out of this world. They weren't just like, oh, here's a billboard. Here's a print ad. It was like installation in Kenwood Mall showing the new rooms and, you know, big ideas like that. And there were four very distinct concepts. And we left that room and actually, funnily enough, we got the wrong phone call and we're told that we had lost the business when that was not the truth. <laughs> and 20 Surprise. minutes later, as the CEO was telling all of us, this was great work, but we didn't win. The phone call came through. Whoops, we're sorry. That was not supposed to be the phone call you got. You actually won. <laughs> so therefore, this one really stands out in my mind. But that was really the jumping off point for developing the strategy team and the belief behind it in the organization. And I think the reason... I'm proud of the output. I mean, it's one of the strongest, like I said, sales presentations we've ever done, I've ever done in my career. But I'm more proud of working through a really difficult process and all the things that I learned about how to best sell it in when it was an organization that didn't have it from the get-go. So that's mine. Yeah, I think uh, for me personally, it, it's it's a lot easier to sell in creative and strategy when you have someone on the quote uh, inside, quote unquote uh -huh. inside, working with you. And so, you know, my example here of, of one of my best client experiences was uh, working with Mars Wrigley and really partnering closely with their internal design management team, who to this day are still my favorite clients I've ever had. And the reason I loved them so much was, you know, referencing some of the hard conversations we talked about earlier, we had those. Uh, they were a champion of strategy and creative in general. And so they were on the inside helping us sell from, from that angle. And then the, the third reason I really enjoyed partnering with them is they, they very clearly understood what they knew and what they didn't know. Mm. And so they were very good at saying, we don't yeah. know this part. This is, we're gonna lean on you for your guidance over here. And so that's that's really powerful. So not I know we've been talking or me 
at least I've been talking a lot about the creative and strategist on the on the agency side. But when you 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 team that up with the, the client who is a believer and a champion, also that just that just ripples out across who you're presenting the work to. And so for me, the reason that was so um, you know fulfilling was that we were we were doing that work across all their brands, right? And there's there's a lot of brands mm-hmm. when dealing with Wrigley, and when you get down to it, it's all gum. It's all, it's gum. It's the same gum. And so how do you have like eight, nine, ten different brands? It's basically the same product. I mean, I think it's very similar to to the soda or Coca-Cola, Pepsi world is that it's basically the same stuff when you get down to it. And so when you have clear strategies set in place to help define the role of each of those brands and allow them to speak to different people, you can carve out niches of, of an audience with basically the same product across the board. So to me, that's super powerful, right? That's that's understanding your consumer. That's understanding the strategy and and how a house of brands relates to each other. I'm sure this is hitting home for you, Anne, being mm-hmm. a PNG um, alumni. Um, that, yeah, I mean, it, it's a delicate nature. But if you understand all those and you understand how they connect and how they uh, where the overlap is and where they where they need to stay away, that just is a really powerful experience. So that wraps up our In the Trenches section, and our third and final segment is often a real-world example of a brand who's doing things well or not so well. We did just give you a couple of our examples, and Steve definitely did did his. So with that, when we have a guest, as all of you know, we like to turn this part of the conversation over to them to promote their business, um, talk about some other advice for listeners, and at the very least, tell people where they can find you, Steve. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I love talking about this. I love talking about design. I love talking about strategy. I just geek out over this stuff. I will bore anyone who wants to talk to me about this stuff. So uh I love networking too. So if anybody you know wants to have coffee or lunch and talk about any of this stuff, please hit me up. You can find me at steve.leader at badgedesignstudio.com and badgedesignstudio.com is our website. And then as I also mentioned, we're part of a larger network called Ovari Group and you can check us out too. So we're doing a lot of cool stuff, working with a lot of different brands, large and small across our network and um, just a lot of really exciting things that we're doing. So happy to share any and all of that with anyone who cares. All right. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us today. I think this has been really good to have you and not just have a one-sided or, I guess, two-sided with the corporate and then strategist perspective anyway on things. So just to recap, the necessity for creative strategy. Number one, creative, unlike art, needs to be objective versus subjective. There's a big difference between art and design, and it lives here. Number two, there is such a thing as too much strategy. This is not about getting every single insight available. It's about getting enough and moving forward. Number three, creative strategy is the superhero that fights ego, which is always present. This can be a very solid way to combat it and shut it down. And number four, without complete alignment, there's no creative strategy. So the best strategy in the world falls to the wayside if the team doesn't believe in it and use it. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.